Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher, and I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Mark Heinz. Mark is an entrepreneur and innovator, leading emerging technology companies in the field of resonance science he, to create scalable solutions that improve the quality of life on Earth. He is also the CEO of Resonant Technology Group, a group of scientists, technologists, and innovators committed to solving the world's biggest challenges and problems. And so with these words, welcome, Mark. Ah, oh, great. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here today. Yeah, so am I. I, I. You know, I got to hear you speak already before this episode, and I know there's like so much information in what you guys do at RTG with Resonance Technologies and bring that into, you know, our mainstream culture. And so let's get started right there about, you know, what are the biggest challenges in the world and why Resonance Technologies are, you know, um, the, the way to solve them. Yeah, I, well, that's a, that's a, a easy, big question. So... I think it's almost instead of the, the challenges, it's really, it's really almost just one challenge. It's a challenge of understanding the difference between dissonance and resonance. And so for what we would say is that resonance means looking at how nature functions, because if we got out of the way, nature functions pretty well. Uh, you know, systems work well, very, very complex systems, extraordinarily complex systems function very well. And so, uh, uh, so we would say that nature creates resonant systems mm -hmm. and then humans created dissonant systems. So you know, I think examples of dissonant systems would be things such as you know, blowing up a hydrocarbon or uh, you know, splitting an atom or uh, you know, forcing uh, toxic drugs into the body to try to produce a result. And, you know, we could go on and on and on, but most everything that we do today is we would say it's dissonant to how nature functions. And so the real problem is, is um, that uh, how do we move from dissonance being not uh, in harmony with nature and being in resonance with nature, understanding the science of nature and then develop technologies based on that principle and then we think we could solve pretty much every problem almost we're dealing with with humanity today. Yeah, I love your, you know, your summary of that. It's, it's a big question, but somewhat of an easy answer. Maybe we even had to go through some of the dissonance to understand this now, but it's, it's clearly 2020 and we're ready for resonant solutions on the planet. And so, um, yeah, maybe in the, the order of what's most exciting to you of the projects that Resonance Technology Groups is hosting, like, what is what is about to come out that you know you can share with us sure so i think probably the the top three categories are health energy and agriculture so for instance in health uh, we have five technologies coming out based on this principle of resonance and uh, so one is uh, although we've been working on these technologies for quite some time it's i, I wish i could say we planned it to all come out today and this year and next year, it just sort of happened. Uh, but uh, so one, for instance, uh, been in development for almost 15 years. 
And from 30 seconds of the voice, we've been able to develop a machine learning algorithm that, uh, so somebody's talking into a smartphone for 30 seconds, mm -hmm. from that 30 seconds, we can decipher data in the body. So right now, so something that's very timely is that from 30 seconds of the voice, we could detect if somebody is positive or negative for COVID-19. Wow. Uh, you know, we've been doing this for years um, with, uh, you know, influenzas and other coronaviruses. We've done third-party studies on uh, Parkinson's and traumatic brain injury and many things with well over 95% degree of accuracy in being able to analyze a situation from 30 seconds of the voice. So really excited to bring this technology out because then, of course, we can get um, an analytic device on every smartphone in the world that's going to radically change how people can access information about themselves. Wow, that's, that's mind-boggling. I mean, it, it, it makes so much sense. We are electromagnetic energy, right? We are fields of energy. And so the resonance of our voice, I mean, you know, we can even hear if someone is lying or if someone is, is speaking from the heart, right? All of that is in there. So I I bet if you read this out with like a machine algorithm, an intelligence and artificial intelligence, yeah, wow, I'm mind boggled actually. Keep going, keep going, Mark. Yeah, and so it's not even so much the sound of the voice itself, rather that every um, everything in nature has what we would call a resonant frequency. So I could take a molecule or a pathogen or anything and I could determine its resonant frequency if I had the right technology to determine that. So if let's say a pathogen is in the body or there's a disease state in the body or, or a drug or anything, those resonant frequencies are going to come out from the voice because you know, the, the, it's very interesting. The parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system are connected to the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is connected to the vocal cords and so all of the information that's being gathered from the nervous system is connected to the vocal cords. And so really what we're not understanding is that we, we think that there's just these two dimensional waves coming out because that's how we've all been taught to visualize waves. But you know, waves are three dimensional packets of data, like little balloons of data. Uh, so all waves in nature are three dimensional. We just, uh, we just think of them as 2D, but you know, like the, the wave of an ocean, the top of the wave is just the manifestation of the energy of the wave, right? The, the, whole, the whole wave is underneath. You're just seeing the top of it. You know, the water is the expression of the wave underneath. So, uh, so it's really important to, to understand you know, the nature of waves. And so these waveforms are filled with data, basically every single thing happening in our body. So it just took a very long time to decipher this data. So we can um, narrow it down to very specific data points of everything happening in the body. So we're working heavily on this technology right now and hopefully we'll be able to get it out to the world soon to make an impact on supporting this whole um, COVID-19 situation. Mm. Well, yeah, the sooner the better, I guess, to you know, help people to also come into a sovereign space where they can, as easy as on your cell phone, you know, get in touch with where their health is at. This is fascinating. I like what you just said about the three dimensionality of waves. 
which, you know, that's why I close my eyes. Like I have to kind of visualize it. I'm a, a long time and very dedicated yogi. And this is the teachings in all the ancient scriptures as well about the vagus nerve, about the resonance in our body around, you know, the, the information that's, that's coming through. And, and for me, you know, having grown up in a Western world, it, when, when science and the ancient scriptures meet, and it is that time, obviously, right now, it, it's like the aha moment doesn't stop happening for me. It's like every interview, every connection that I have at the moment, there's another piece of the puzzle that allows us to kind of like upgrade our entire existence as humans from this old inherited um, infrastructure in which we live in and way of thinking and creating to a resonant way to, to be one with nature, which we obviously already are, but there's a lot of work to do to get our environment, the way we do business, the way we uh, take care of health. You, you mentioned agriculture, right? You mentioned energy. Um, so what's on the energy and the agriculture front that is, that's really exciting that you guys are bringing out right now. Yes. So on agriculture, uh, it's, it's just a, an extension of the same thing of understanding frequency and understanding information. So, and with agriculture, well, for, I don't know, maybe the last 40 years or so, we've uh, shifted to um, trying to manipulate agriculture by either genetically modifying it or by producing massive amounts of a particular uh, crop and supporting that by fertilizing and using insecticides and all of these things. And so since we understand such through the voice and some of our other health technologies that are coming out to the market, that everything has a resonant frequency, we've been able to develop technology for agriculture, whereby instead of using a chemical, let's say uh, nitrogen or potassium or whatever the, it is for the fertilizer, instead of using that chemical, we're using the frequency equivalent of the chemical. And on the inverse side, instead of using an insecticide or a pesticide or a fungicide, we're using the inverse frequency of those insecticides or fungicides to repel them. But so now we're using frequency and information to grow plants. And some really extraordinary things are happening. So we just finished, uh, well, a little bit ago, we finished a study, a third-party study on cannabis. And uh, so by using uh, our grow that we did compared to the test grow, we used basically just frequency information instead of no chemicals. And we got a, almost 100% increase in yield. Wow. Uh, we got about a 250% increase in the number and the types of phytochemicals um, like terpenes, mm -hmm. increases in the cannabinoid profile in THC and using no chemicals, no fungicides, no pesticides, but just the information of these. And we've been doing this for years now with leafy greens and sprouts and we've just installed the technology in uh, two of the largest uh, farm operations in the country in almonds and potatoes. So imagine we're going to be able to move very soon to growing food with no chemicals of any kind. The food grows bigger, faster, um, much more vibrant. The nutrient profile is much more dense. And uh, we're seeing a minimum of a 30% reduction in water need. 
So of course, you know, water is becoming a very significant issue, especially in agriculture, uh, you know, around the world right now. So um, we're really excited to bring this technology out. It's, it's very affordable. It's scalable up to millions of acres. Uh, and we should be able to resolve everything about the concept of going organic because this is super organic. There's no chemicals of any kind. And it's, we just enhance the vital life force of the plant, give it some information and we can do whatever's needed. Yeah, I can follow in terms of like understanding what you're saying, but I'd love to understand it from a pragmatic like visualization, you know, like back in the day when we did believe that you need to spray pesticides on, on plants, which obviously makes, makes no sense, kills the soil, kills the water, it creates massive havoc on our entire ecosystem. But back in the day, we, we thought, okay, we, we just walk up to the plant and it's not perfect the way it is. So we spray stuff on it. And then with spraying things on it, it changes and it's, it, we made it better. Now, the technology that you, you guys are developing there, how, how does you know, the, yeah, the farmer yes. interact with the plant? Like how does it, is it something that needs to go into the soil? Is it something in the water? Like how can I visualize that? Yeah, so two things. So uh, just before we talk about the device itself, I think it's, you asked a really good question about the principle. So uh, I don't know, you're pretty young, but uh, there used to be this commercial many, many years ago, I think probably 30 years ago on TV. And it was with the singer, I think her name was Ella Fitzgerald. And it was, uh, it was by a company called Memorex. And she would be singing and then this crystal glass would explode. Right, yeah, yeah, I've okay. seen that. I definitely 30 years ago, I might've been like two or three. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's on YouTube, yeah. I'm sure, and all of that, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think the line was, you know, is it live or is it Memorex? Uh, but so the question was, is how did her voice shatter that crystal, right? And so what we, all, we understand is two things, that everything in nature has a resonant frequency, but also has, a, we'd say, a dissonant frequency, or what we call a mortal oscillatory rate, an MOR. And this was actually discovered almost 70 years ago mm. by a researcher in the United States by the name of Raymond Royal Reif. And there's many technologies out there today that bear his name, Reif machines. Um, but so the premise is, is that if you deliver a frequency that is dissonant to, uh, to mold or fungus or plant, uh, I mean, an insect, it will either um, kill the mold or the fungus or repel the pest. Mm -hmm. So, so that's the dissonant part. Then we, you know, it's been proven for many, many years. So now instead of using, you know, the voice to shatter a crystal glass, we're using a frequency just like the singer did, but to shatter a mold uh, a molecule or a you know, fungus. So it's the same principle, uh, but it's specific for that very specific thing. So like when she was singing, the person thought it sounded great. Right? It was healthy to the human. It just wasn't resonant to that crystal. Right, right. So, so these, that would mean I could visualize it like literally being a, an applicable technology or like a little resonator that is in the field and like emits that frequency that is. Exactly. Yeah. Like a, like a transmitter. Mm. Yes. And then <clears throat> for the other side, for the resonant things, so let's say nitrogen. So we understand the resonant frequency of nitrogen. And actually it's 
uh, it was a very complex one. Actually, I probably just picked the most complex one of all because you have to have things that bind to it and all of that. Mm -hmm. But we figured out how to introduce that information, if you will, into water. So then, uh, or any other supplement that, you, that that particular crop may need, you know, potassium, whatever it is. And so then as the, the plant is being watered, it's getting the information of that supplement as opposed to the actual physical chemical. So some really interesting things happen. When the uh, plant gets it as information, it's extraordinarily efficient. So there's no energy required to break down the molecule then for the plant to get the information out of the molecule. It doesn't have to deal with any side effects or any waste or anything, just the pure information. And also can be sent out through a transmitter so that the plant has the available information that it needs as a supplement for it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It takes what it wants. It doesn't take what it doesn't want. So it needs no energy to break it down and it has an unlimited supply of that nutrient available through information. So that's how we're doing it. So if I follow the analogy that you painted in the very beginning that, you know, we used to be dissonant to the way nature's principles are, are working. And now we're discovering how to, through science and technology, um, be resonant well, on an yeah, individual I, and on a, on a bigger scale. Can I picture it in the way that this is kind of the way nature already talks to it, each other, like in the sense that like the way a plant communicates with another plant, both on the vibratory field also and through the mycelial field? Yeah, without a doubt. So, uh, you know, we know that you know, in the mycelial field, an extraordinary work, of course, is being yeah. done on that and through the vibratory field. Uh, you know, most people probably aren't aware, but, you know, when you cut grass, you know, you have that smell and people that have allergies have a pretty significant negative response to smelling fresh cut grass. Yeah. Well, the reason being is that that grass, that molecule is the grass is sending a signal to other grass that danger is coming. Mm -hmm. Right, that, that the plant is being attacked. And so that's a dissonant frequency, which is why people have a negative response to it, right? And, uh, and then a really great way to visualize this is actually with dogs. So in the world today, the uh, use of dogs, let's say to quote unquote, smell cancer, smell epileptic seizures, yeah. smell these things is growing you know, drugs in airports. So, you know, cancer does not have an odor. Uh, you know, uh, a germ cell does not smell. Um, an epileptic seizure does not have an odor. So the dog is not detecting an odor. What it is detecting, it's detecting the frequency equivalent of that molecule or that state that is existing in the body that's allowing it to soon have a physiological response. And so dogs are the most perfect example that it's all frequency. It's not the molecule itself, okay? The dog's not smelling really anything. The dog is detecting a frequency, regardless if it's a drug or if it's cancer, whatever it is, and then it's deciphering that frequency and it's saying, oh, this is that information set, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay? So, uh, so now, you know, we're using the same principle, or if, you know, if I go out into a forest mm. and I take, you know, an agronomist out there and I say, okay, 
if I take a soil sample, does this soil have all the nutrients that all of these various plants, all of these various things would need, supposedly, if they were in a farm, okay, to grow? And they say, oh, I don't know. But if we take a sample, no, it does not happen, okay? Um, so where is all this information, all these nutrients for these, you know, redwood trees that grow to be, you know, 200 plus feet and all of these things, where does it come from? Well, it comes from this field of energy and information through frequency. That it's all there. Um, so right. is, that, is that the science of noetics, the way that the plants kind of talk to each other in the frequency connect for sure yeah because like i remember one of those uh, noetic studies where similar to what you said about the the blade of grass where they broke off a branch of a tree and then the tree next to it had an energetic wave reaction to that because they communicated and the, the danger that the tree experienced and like the quotation marks of pain which i don't know if we need the quotation marks for that because you know possibly that tree did experience pain the trees around it are informed through the resonance that, or the dissonance that the tree emits. Yeah, well, you know, they've done you know, studies on, you know, very large aspen uh, grows and doing what you just said, they, you know, put a transducer on uh, one tree at the furthest end of the grove. Hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how far that is, but many acres apart. And then a transducer, or a transducer at the plant, uh, the tree at the other very end, and they'll subject one of them to, you know, some sort of trauma, you know, cutting a branch off or something. And the um, one at the far end um, responds in real time, right? Uh, and of course, you know, there's even better examples of this than plants, you know, of, of course, with human blood. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of those studies um, that have been done like at SRI, Stanford Research Institute, whereby you know, they will take a, um, a test subject and they'll say, okay, let's draw blood from this person. And then at a partnering university, let's say, which they've done in one in England, they'll overnight the blood to England. And then they say, okay, put the blood under a microscope. And then the person that's in California at SRI, Stanford Research Institute, they'll expose them to images and uh, you know, violent images or other types of images. And then they can see the blood of the person respond in real time in England. Wow. And this has been repeated many, many, many times. And so this understanding of, you know, of, of how this phenomena works, this quantum entanglement mm -hmm. is critical to resonance because, you know, the really the premise of dissonance almost is in our laws, our quote unquote laws of energy. So mm -hmm. in the laws of thermodynamics, the first four words, right, are in an isolated system, okay? Which is almost absurd to think that anything could be isolated from anything. But our science today is built on thinking that things are isolated. Yeah, we're getting to the, the good bits here. We're just challenging the entire paradigm of science, which I, I don't even know where to pick up because I made so many little bookmarks in my mind about what, you, what you're sharing there. I think first I want to I just check in with you. So I remember also HeartMath Institute 
um, did a, a few studies and I had them on a few years ago on this podcast actually uh, around heart intelligence and intuitive intelligence of the heart, which was very similar. They exposed people to images and even before they saw the image, the heart already had a spark if it was a, like, a, like a, a, a stronger beat, if it was a violent image. So the mm. heart kind of knew through resonance before the eyes could even see the image. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, basically, they're, uh, and you know, we've, we're very good friends with them. And one of my scientists, um, unfortunately, she passed away last year um, uh, that we worked with for a long time, Dr. Elizabeth Rauscher, helped design some of the very first hardware um, for heart math, but yeah, the context that uh, you know the body's connected um, by sensory perception to this field of energy and information we exist within is the premise of what they do, and it's obvious. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's dive deeper there, Mike. I know you said the, the third piece is energy technologies, and the way we understand energy on this planet right now. I mean, we literally drill into <laughs> fossil fuels and. Ex exploit the earth to then burn and and believe that that's the smartest way we can do things and it you know it doesn't really hold up with resonance technologies and i know we're going to go into the topic of zero point super exciting for a lot of people that have been you know researching that for a bit and and are like waiting for the energy rev revelation but basically just to track back to what you said is all based on that the laws of physics on which we build our understanding of the world I'll, you know, you can, you can speak carefully. I'll speak boldly. Like they, they not just might be wrong. They're just, it's just a, a wrong setup. We've observed something that now we know isn't entirely true anymore because everything is in fact uh, entangled and interrelated and interconnected. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost, it's hard to start. You know, I, I like to use, you know, two examples of energy that pretty much I think almost everybody can relate to. So, you know, one is a magnet. So, you know, if I take a magnet, like a very small little magnet, and I put it on my refrigerator, and it will hold up a little eight by 10 piece of paper for years and years and years and years. And if I say, where does the energy of that work that's being performed come from? If I ask any physicist, scientist, engineer in the standard model of physics, there is no answer. And actually, I even mentioned uh, yesterday on a call, there's, a, there's this great YouTube uh, video with uh, Dr. Richard Feynman, who's widely considered one of the preeminent physicists of our time. And a very innocent question was asked of him by an um, inter interviewee. And you know, it says, Dr. Feynman, I said, my son just wanted to know, how does a magnet work? And then, you know, Richard basically, he kind of starts melting down and he goes on this just long, you know, uh, diatribe and he says, well, it's sort of like asking, why is ice slippery? And if my aunt falls on the ice and breaks her hip, how does that happen? And you're like, what? Uh, but, and you know, some, and many scientists today will even get in an argument that magnets are not doing work, which is pretty absurd because like I can take, you know, one under a, something that does not have a magnetic barrier and another one on top. And I can pull this magnet along and I, then I can show that the other magnet is moving so I can show that the magnet is doing work, right? Um, or, you know, I can put very two magnets, uh, very two powerful magnets close to each other and one will shoot 
uh, you know, we've had them shoot through a piece of drywall, right? That is a lot of work that was just performed. My arm did not create that propulsion. So where does that energy come from? Well, it's so clear that the magnet is in resonance with this field of energy and information we exist within, this electromagnetic field, and it's extracting an infinitesimally small amount of that energy to do what it does. You know, so the iron or the neodymium, you know, you just whack it with an electromagnetic charge and it changes its orientation and now it's getting energy from this field. And the other part of that to clearly show that electricity and magnetism are these, these strong forces, and that's pretty much all we care about is that um, if I take, you know, a magnet and a little like ball bearing, and I take the magnet here, the ball bearing will come up. So I can show that a magnetism is stronger than gravity, and I can have the little magnet on the wall, and it's over, it's anti-gravitic, right, for years. So we clearly have to have an answer for this, and the only sustainable answer is that the magnet is in resonance with this electromagnetic field of energy, which there's a lot of it. So the energy density, it's called the energy density of the vacuum, well, it's not a vacuum, but the energy density of the field um, has been calculated to be 10 to the 94th gram cube squared. So 10 with 94 zeros after it of energy in every cubic centimeter of space. Basically, that's the energy equivalent of millions and millions of stars in every cubic centimeter of space. So that's where the magnet is tapping into. That's and a lot of energy, yeah. It's a lot of energy. In every and cubic meter, centimeter of space. Every cube, the size of a sugar cube. Yeah, yeah. And then we have to ask an atom. Okay, so the nuclei of every atom is spinning it near the speed of light in perpetuity. And again, if we ask any scientist, engineer, physicist, the standard model of physics, how's that happening? There's no little motor, there's no little generator hooked up to an atom, right? How is that happening? And the best explanation that they have is that every atom emerged out of the Big Bang and has been spinning in a frictionless environment ever since, right? And that is, um, of course, um, pretty uh, absurd uh, because we know, I, I remember that was said with a, a group of um, uh, children some uh, years ago, about two years ago. And they say, if I rub my hands together, I get friction, right? Don't we live in a friction-filled environment? Which, of course, we do. You know, there's friction everywhere. And, of course, the Big Bang is starting to be, uh, you know, questioned. You know, and the, really the Big Bang was just an idea from a Belgian priest and astronomer in like 1927 or something. So it's, that, that's the best idea they have. Well, the atom is in resonance with this electromagnetic field, extracting a very, very small amount of energy from that, and that's how it functions. So now if we understood that, which we do, and we could emulate that in building devices, then we could tap in like the atom does. We could tap, tap in like the magnet does, and we could produce energy devices that do really extraordinary things. Right, and we know if, you know, we go down this rabbit hole a bit, and many people have in the last decade, that there have been so many people trying to do that. 
so how close are we as a species, right? Like if we get beyond the us and them thinking, beyond the I am Canadian, American, German, uh, Brazilian, whatever, like how close are we as a species to upgrade the way we connect with the resonant field and connect with that zero point of energy so we can actually power our houses, our societies, our cities um, with a complete new and therefore also renewable source of energy. Yeah, so, um, so a couple of things. So although the term, um, uh, you know, zero point is used, um, I prefer not to use zero point because um, it's basically saying it's the lowest possible energy that a quantum mechanical system may have. And I, I think there's a, and that, that's why there's a lot of controversy around it. And I think people can rightfully say, well, that's not correct. What we would say is that the highest point of energy of this field, you know, electromagnetism, um, that there's a, there's a lot of it. And instead of having to say, let's tap into a point or some subatomic thing, it's an infinite field that's everywhere. I mean, you, know, you as a human, you know, exist of 37 trillion atoms, and every one of those atoms are 99.99999% space. And that point, that point zero 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 one of an oscillation at the Planck length is just a vibration. So this is a manifestation of various degrees of vibration in a denser form. So it's all space. So that space is filled with this energy of the electromagnetic field. And so um, instead of trying to say zero point, it's just being in resonant with this electromagnetic field. And so to answer your question, um, there are devices now that have been verified that hopefully will be coming to the world in the first quarter of 2021 that are now operating in resonance with this field and that they are producing more energy that they're consuming. Wow. Yeah, fascinating. I love how you're just able to, you know, cut, cut through this complex topic in such a like very eloquent and, and very succinct way. Um, I remember watching videos with Nassim Haramain, who is one of your science advisors, um, like a decade ago where he talked about this in, in, in almost the same words, but slightly different in a decade ago. I was like, wow, this feels right, but I can't really follow it yet. And it, it, it feels like we're so ready for it as a, uh, an aware species that is, is coming into a complete new paradigm of reality. Yeah, and you know, it's really interesting that the closer we're getting, you know, the simpler it's becoming. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole idea of dark energy and you know, all these, you know, string theory, 11 different dimensions and all these things, we can start getting rid of all of that. And we can start just understanding, wow, there's just, there's one field and everything we experience in this one field is just gradients of that one thing. Mm. Mm. That's it, right? I mean, and it starts to be very easy to explain, right? So let's say the backdrop of the field of everything yeah. is ether, okay? This is the finest, most fine substance 
of existence. We get into philosophical debates and esoteric things about what is ether, mm-hmm. might have religious connotations and spiritual connotations. But from a science perspective, let's just call it a substance. Okay. So then imagine it's this super fine, just incredibly high oscillating substance. And then as these elements or substances interact with each other, you get a little, it, it slows down a bit. You get a little, let's say, friction. And then as it slows down, that one thing becomes another thing. We would call that plasma, Mm. which is 99.999% of the observable mass of the universe is plasma. Okay, it's the fourth state of matter, which most people only talk about three states, which is crazy, but plasma. Then as the plasma little, let's say, elements interact and they slow down, you get electricity. And then as electricity does that, you get magnetism and then you get gravity and then you get, you know, subatomic particles and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, hydrogen. So it's all one thing. And so everything is already tapping into that one thing. There's no exceptions to it. If it exists, if it, it's in the universe, if it has mass, it's tapped into that one thing. So since that's how all of existence happens, maybe we should emulate that. Boom. Yeah, that's, that's right, right to the point. You know, my inner 12 or 13 year old is celebrating right now. I'm like having a big smile on because when I remember this day so well, when I was like, whatever, 12 or 13, I was really bad at physics. And I remember it being a thing, like a question of principle for me, because I hated the way we were indoctrinated with something that just didn't feel right. But Obviously, what doesn't feel right to a 12 or 13 year old at the time didn't really matter to the system or the teacher or whatever around me. And I remember this one day specifically where we were writing, I grew up in Germany, so went through that schooling system. We were writing a test and it wasn't an announced test. It wasn't an ad hoc spontaneous test. And I looked at the the sheet and I basically, I basically knew I'm going to not know anything today. And so I was just not, not participating. And the teacher was staring, staring me in the eye with this like, this hate of how I could reject his love for physics. And I remember to this day how I was mentally rehearsing in my mind, I don't believe what you're teaching me. This is going to be disproven within the next 50 years. I don't believe what you're teaching me. This is going to be disproven within the next 50 years. And I've rarely ever shared this story because it kind of made me look a little ignorant. But right now I'm celebrating because it's, it's so clear that, you know, if you look at the history of physics, if you look at the history of, of all kinds of understandings of what reality is, it's always been changing, right? We've always gone through paradigm shifts and, and new ages and eras of enlightenment. And so maybe I can form a question out of this. And, you know, what I often ask is, what does it take for humanity to learn from its past and past mistakes, but specifically to the body of science? Like, Mark, what do you, what do you reckon it takes for us to you know, really understand that the, the model of resonance physics is a breakthrough and, and we can leave all the doubt and controversial conversations behind. Yeah, so super great, great, great question. So um, um, what it's going to take is, I think, three things. One is, you mentioned the sim, so that, you know, we support like the extraordinary work that the Resonance Science Foundation is doing and the SIM is doing to publish the papers and actually write the science. Mm. So, you know, so, and that's not been a trivial venture because it's, you know, you don't make much money uh, doing research and writing papers. 
but you know the papers have been written and although you know there's a few people on the internet that will try to uh, you know say derogatory comments about some of it if anybody takes 10 to 15 minutes to actually read the papers they're pretty much you know um, you, you can't argue them that okay it's pure mechanical math this isn't quantum theory this is how it is so first support the research and then um, two is to build the technologies based on this so this isn't an argument if i have a device in front of me that does this there's no argument um, and so that's what we've devoted the last you know 15 years of our lives to is supporting the development of the technologies and three is being able to support capital structures that understand that this is not a threat that um, that this is a transition and it's going to happen there's the transition from dissonance to resonance which you know we, we coined the term many years ago and it's interesting in the vernacular now i hear the word resonance all the time so it's entering into the collective, the, the concept of resonance. Um, but the transition from, resonance, uh, from dissonance to resonance is going to be much greater than the industrial revolution, much greater than the analog to digital revolution, because it affects every single aspect of our life. And it will quickly and rapidly solve pretty much every problem we're dealing with. Environmental, health, you know, um, intergalactic travel, Everything can be solved from this. And um, so to work with the systems that be, to say, okay, the oil guys, look, at, you can monetize this, okay? You know, if you have a device that doesn't require energy input, you can monetize this, you know, through licensing and through other things. And may, it may not be the most perfect solution, let's say for the consumer where they don't have to pay for it at all, but it will change everything but it connects to the old and existing model, which is kind of an important piece, right? Because if you look it, into history, it, it, it has been shut down so many times, these attempts. Exactly. And that's why everything we do is a bridge technology. So mm. how does it work within the current infrastructure? And I think that's been the greatest challenge of, of, of people coming before us is to say, okay, we want to take down energy. We want to take down big pharma. And that's not going to work. I mean, whether we agree with them or not, you know, I know a lot of these people and they're, they're, they're good. A lot of them are really good humans. Yeah. And so if they've got a better solution, they will do it. They just need a better solution. And so instead of taking them down, let's enable them. Also from a philosophical point of view, if I might, might highlight this, if you're taking someone down, you're still applying the, the idea and the model of dissonance, right? And so resonate with them or resonating with where we all are together, like, this whole us and them is, is a big illusion as you know many many people come to understand throughout their life and so we're, we're in this together we're in this this molecular loop of planet earth i call it the green planet blue planet for for that same reason like we're, we're in this together and as we're learning to not just uh, be with nature but understand ourselves as nature and create from that kind of principle of, of philosophical spiritual esoteric understanding but also a scientific understanding everything changes and i think it's it's time for it you know it's 2020 right now as we're recording this you you said the first quarter of 2021 will, will might see the, the first 
energy uh, revelations coming out. I know you guys are working on, on the, the COVID voice test at, at ASAP to get it market ready. Um, yeah, what else is exciting to you for you to share that here at, at the end of our episode that, that you, you, know, you want people to walk away with who have listened today? Yeah, so I think the thing to walk away with is that, you know, these are just the technologies that we're talking about now, but I can share that there's working technologies and systems that you know, have been shown in seven days, let's say, to take highly polluted cities um, to back where they were 40 years ago, to pristine air, with virtually no moving parts, these devices, or to take bodies of water with you know, 300,000, 400,000 parts per million, which you know, that's basically fracking water. Mm. And then to be able to return it within a short period of time, within months, to pristine bodies of water that are fostering life. And it seems kind of crazy because we're used to this very difficult mechanicalistic, you know, manipulative way of trying to force systems to do something. Even the best intentioned people right now, you know, the green movement or environmental, yeah. are still, you know, and you know, okay, let's plant a trillion trees, which my partner, Roland Vandermeer, that's what he was going to do before we met. But imagine if you could sequester the same amount of carbon um, that it would take a, that a trillion trees could do, that you could do with a device, you know, a large box, let's say, you know, 10 foot by 10 foot by 10 foot device could sequester as much carbon as a trillion trees, right? Like these are the sort of things that can be solved or, you know, this year we're it's getting very concerning again about the Amazon fires. Yes. Okay. Well, you know, it's not very hard to create rain, right? You know, just building up a little bit of the ether and you get some condensation and you can make it rain and not manipulating it, but just being in resonance with it because there are some technologies that manipulate weather and that's not good. Um, but so all of these problems can be solved. Um, the you know, most difficult one will be humanity, you know, consciousness. Um, but to me, the shining light of all of this, and really, which is my ultimate objective, is that what I have witnessed over the years is that when people have a tangible experience of a technology that works on these principles, or like you just said, when you were you know, 12 years old, your 12 year old self just is like laughing now, like, okay, this, I, I get it now. When this happens, then um, a significant shift in the person happens. Like we've seen many people that, you know, are venture capitalists and this and all of a sudden like, whoa, okay, I need to shift what I'm doing. So I believe that the technologies will be the greatest metaphor for the shift of consciousness that's ever existed because they're going to have an undeniable and a tangible experience that we live in a field of energy and information. Yeah. The field is highly articulated. The field is highly intelligent and that we are connected with it and is informing us and informing everything. And so this is going to change the human experience. Beautiful. I do have two more questions for you. Please. And, and, and they're, they're kind of off the charts of the Resonance Technology Group, but I, I'm really curious about your answers. So question number one, Mark, if you alone or with a team of experts 
could change the education system at large, what would you do? Yeah, so super great question. So first, um, looking first of educating people just on, of educating children, of letting them learn how nature functions. So for instance, if we just look at, you know, the expression of all physical matter, not, you know, the phi ratio, the golden means, that um, we looked a while ago and we could not find one um, school system, you know, government sponsored school system in the United States, and there may be some, we didn't look that hard, but we looked at some, and we cannot find one example that, of where they taught this, except maybe they started to in high school, right? And instead of, uh, uh, you know, trying to force them to remember, you know, numbers and facts and data, to let them learn about the natural uh, um, um, operation of, of reality and their relationship with it, and then build upon that. Mm. So that would be the number one thing. And, you know, there's some, uh, like the Waldorf school and some other things build on aspects of this, right? Nature uh, as a primary teacher. Yeah. Yeah. But this would be even the next level of that. It would be quantitatively um, sharing the relationship that this individual has, this very young individual with this field of energy. And could you imagine the awe and the wonder that's going to emit from them to say, what? It's all energy. It's all information. It's basically like their, you know, fantasy movie comes to life. It's like, oh, I can just take this and I can create it into what I want. Yeah, not only is that not a fable now, but I can understand that it has real potential. How do I develop technologies and things to work with that? That changes the human experience, you know, to such a level we become, uh, you know, beings that people can't even imagine right now. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. So the last question I have for you kind of goes along this line of like, who are we becoming? And, you know, it's more a philosophical and maybe even spiritual pursuit. And this was what started me, to, you know, to, to start this podcast, uh, this question. And the question is, is for you personally, like what's your dream for the species of humanity for our planet earth in a context of seven generations going forward. So zooming out on the timeline right now, thinking and having it mind and heart, the next seven generations, what's your dream for the earth, Mark? Wow, seven generations. That's a, a, a long, I, um, even a few generations, maybe even three or so, that um, I think things can shift so fast that once we understand, so, so two aspects to this. So once we understand resonance and we live in this field of energy and information, then it's going to be very clear, I think to everybody, that we exist in a galactic community. That, you know, we are one part of probably an infinite galactic community. And that I think, you know, there, I can't remember, I should remember the Star Trek um, movie whereby the scientist made the first warp drive and then right away, you know, the galactic beings landed and they made first contact. And I think there's a very important metaphor in that whereby once we understand resonance and we work with that, then, you know, in, in consciousness, we join the galactic community. Mm-hmm. So then uh, I think um, 
imagine what's going to happen to humanity when we're no longer bound by being on the surface of the planet. We realize that we are part of a really significant community and that uh, um, I don't know how dissonance could occur. I don't know how war happens. I don't know how any of these things happens because we're no longer saying, oh, we're, we lack for natural resources. There's an infinite amount of everything, right? I mean, there's literally this planet could hold 30 billion people and be in a much better state than it is today, easily. It could hold 100 billion people and it would be pristine. So that would be, that would be my dream. Thank you. I love, I love your dream. I, I, I let this sink in. I, I want to, you know, thank you for your time, for all the wisdom, the insights you shared. This was a big one. And it's the decade of, you know, regenerative change on the planet. And so in your words, it's the decade of moving from dissonance to resonance. Thank you, Mark. Uh, thank you so much. That was uh, really great and really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening and here we are again. This is your host Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three-month program, and this discount applies for all one-on-one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click Work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe, going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one in small coaching groups online or in person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request, I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more, how to support the show, or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website, that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships, and mention the end of episode discount, and I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now. It's 808. That's right. That's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend. Mm-hmm.